Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 287. It's titled, What Causes Hyperinflation and How to End It? Hyperinflation, the rapid increase in prices with inflation rates over 50% per month can destroy an economy. We're seeing that in Venezuela today. We saw it in Zimbabwe in 2008-2009 and potentially again in 2020 in Zimbabwe. In this episode, we're going to look at what causes hyperinflation. And we'll see that it's very different from the type of inflation that, that we're used to, be it low or high. Hyperinflation is a completely different level of inflation. And to survive it is very different than what we would do in just combating normal inflation. First, as I mentioned, inflation measures the rise in prices over time. Prices of food, housing, clothes, healthcare, recreation, and other goods and services. The more those prices are increasing, the greater the rate of inflation. Government statistical agencies around the world measure inflation by using what is known as a reference basket. They look at a basket of goods and services. In the U.S., the Bureau of Labor Statistics calculates inflation as measured by the U.S. Consumer Price Index by looking at the price changes in over 200 categories of goods and services. Inflation can only occur if businesses charge more to their customers for their products. A business will sometimes raise their prices if they see that their costs are rising and then they try to pass on those costs to their customers so that the business maintains the same level of profitability, that their profits don't shrink as their costs rise and they're not able to get more revenue by passing on those cost increases to their customers. This can lead to a chain reaction as one business raises its prices and another business that buys from that business has to raise its prices and then raises prices on consumers who then go back to their employer and want more money because prices are increasing. What is the underlying cause of inflation? It's that the amount of money in the economy is growing faster than the number of goods and services being produced or the number of goods and services available for sale. Money represents purchasing power, the ability to spend. We get money by working. We receive income. But the way that the amount of money or purchasing power in the economy increases is primarily through bank lending. When a bank makes a new loan, it creates a new digital bank deposit, which the borrower can then spend. It increases the money supply. In most countries, banks create close to 90% of the new money out there. The role of central banks, such as the U.S. Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the Bank of Japan, is to make sure commercial banks don't lend too much. They do that by setting a policy rate, essentially a floor on 
interest rates. When the central bank believes banks are creating too much money through their lending activity, the central bank will raise that policy rate. In the U.S., that's the Fed funds rate, the rate the central bank or the Federal Reserve pays on reserves that banks hold at the central bank. They'll raise that up, and that means that banks, in order to make a profit, need to charge more on their loans. The higher the interest rate on loans, the less households and businesses want to borrow, and so less money is created. And in that way, central banks try to control inflation. And they've done a good job of it the last few decades. The last time the U.S. had an inflation rate of over 5% was in 1990, when it was 6%. The highest inflation amount ever recorded in the U.S., or at least in the modern era, was 13.3% in 1979. I don't remember that very well. I was just entering high school. I remember mortgage rates were very high. My mom was trying to sell real estate in that environment. Later, in the 80s, I lived in Mexico when inflation was 60 to 80% per year. I remember Mexicans complaining about the price of tortillas and soda kept increasing, but because the Mexican peso was depreciating so much against the dollar, I wasn't personally impacted. And now, like many of you, we're just used to low inflation. But that is not the case in Venezuela which has experienced hyperinflation for over 36 months, one of the longest records of hyperinflation, over 10,000% per year. Virginia Lopez Glass wrote an editorial in the New York Times. She's a journalist in Venezuela. She wrote, inflation is bad, but hyperinflation is a totally different game. Virginia Lopez Glass points out that in a hyperinflationary economy, buying food becomes your one and only priority. 90% of Venezuelans live in poverty, and they report losing on average 24 pounds of body weight each. Magualida Oronos, a 43 year old nurse whose minimum wage barely was enough to buy a kilogram of meat in Venezuela to feed her children, said, we are millionaires, but we are poor. Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro just ordered the 11th minimum wage hike in 24 months, increased it 67%, this was in January 2020, to 250,000 bolivars per month. That's about $3.61, plus an additional 200,000 bolivars for a food bonus. Last October, according to this report in QZ, the monthly minimum wage, was, which was raised to 150000 an individual could buy four kilograms of beef, about nine pounds. But with this new minimum wage, prices have risen so much that an individual could only buy one kilogram of meat with the new 250,000 Bolivar monthly minimum wage. That compares with the U.S., where the minimum wage of $7.25 per hour 
buys 137 kilograms of ground beef versus one in Venezuela. In the UK, where the minimum wage is just over eight pounds, a worker can buy 288 kilograms of rump steak in a month. So getting food is the most difficult part of hyperinflation because oftentimes the shelves are empty. In the case of Venezuela, they have price controls that were in place, and so there's not an incentive to produce things. Here's then what causes hyperinflation. At its core, it's too much spending relative to income at the federal government level. Venezuela's budget deficit to GDP was 46% in 2017. I saw one report it was up to 30% budget deficit to GDP. That means the government spent more as a percent of the economy, the value of goods and services produced, the government spent 30% of that, more than what they received in tax revenues. So there's a huge increase in the money supply. It's essentially running the printing press to pay for things. And it's often done because the government has tenuous political control. And so it wants to reward the military or other factions that are keeping them in power. Hyperinflation usually involves currency depreciation. There's a loss of confidence in the currency, so it plummets relative to the U.S. dollar and other currencies, which means the price of imports into that country skyrockets. That puts significant upward pressure on prices. But it's not only huge spending by the government, currency depreciation, but it's also, as I pointed out, there's reduced capacity. The incentives aren't in place for the private sector to produce goods and services. Sometimes it's because of price controls. Sometimes it's corruption. But you have reduced capacity, increased money supply, and that leads to the hyperinflation. Oftentimes, the goods that are produced because of price controls, they end up going to the black market. In Venezuela, there was a new term, bachaqueros, which means ant traders, people that got a hold of subsidized food and would carry it to nearby countries such as Colombia to sell it and make significant profits. Hyperinflation is characterized by a complete lack of trust in the government and central banks. No one trusts the data in terms of the level of inflation or the ability to control it. Citizens lose hope. Often the government stops publishing official inflation statistics. So the only way to really figure out what prices should be is how fast the currency is depreciating in the black market. Between 2007 and 2009, Zimbabwe experienced significant hyperinflation. 96 trillion percent. I couldn't write it out. I don't know how many zeros it is. That was the inflation rate year on year, November 2008. At the time, Tendai Moyo, she was a housekeeper in the Zimbabwe capital. She just wanted to buy a plastic bottle, a feeding bottle for her three-month-old son. She saw it at the store and decided that night she was going to go buy it. She goes back to the store, brings her money, and doesn't have enough because the price is higher now. 
She goes to the bank, waits three hours to take out the maximum that she was able to take out, roughly $2.50. Goes back to the store and the price is even higher because when you have hyperinflation, prices are being raised several times a day based on the black market rate for the currency. Moya said, this price madness is frustrating and it makes you hopeless because it seems it will never come to an end. I just don't understand why and how prices keep on increasing at such a rate. Well, we know because there's so much money flowing into the economy, not from bank lending, but from government spending. At the same time, the private sector isn't producing goods and services to the same extent, because why bother if there's price controls or you're not going to get paid or it's just hard to get the inputs for what you produce? Completely wrecks the economy. Before we consider the steps to end hyperinflation, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Tagovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com slash david. That's netsuite.com slash david, netsuite.com slash david. What then are the steps to end hyperinflation? What does Zimbabwe do? What does Venezuela need to do and has actually started doing? Ryan Avent of The Economist pointed out the standard playbook. First, is fiscal reform to bring the budget deficit down so that the government isn't spending significantly more than it's taking in in tax revenue. So it's not flooding the economy with money, with purchasing power. There needs to be a credible shift in leadership, more trust in the central bank and the treasury. That's why oftentimes there's a change in leadership so that the citizens begin to trust the government again. There needs to be more credibility in the currency, and it's generally done by anchoring the currency to either pegging it to the dollar or essentially not using the local currency anymore. Dollarization. That's what occurred in Zimbabwe. In 2009, they just stopped using the dollar. The Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe legalized the use of foreign currencies. In 2009, when the economy is running on the dollar or other foreign currencies, the government can't just print money 
anymore to spend because nobody uses it to purchase goods or services. And the fourth thing is often there's outside help from the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, such as loans, help to restructure debt. In Zimbabwe, not only did they stop using the Zimbabwe dollar, but the IMF gave or lent the government $510 million in 2009 in exchange for promised reforms. And that ended the crisis. We'll see in a moment, not entirely so, because inflation, again, is creeping in to the Zimbabwe economy. These type of changes are starting to take place in Venezuela. In November 2019, President Nicolas Maduro said in an interview on broadcast television, I don't see this as a bad thing, this process that they call dollarization. It can help the recovery of the country, the spread of productive forces in the country and the economy. Thank God it exists. Thank God dollarization exists, says Maduro. But the dollar is still illegal. Yet, most businesses are starting to quote prices in the dollar. Even more importantly, the government lifted price controls last October. Price controls that had been in place for 15 years. They didn't officially acknowledge it, but you started to see the store shelves fill again, priced in dollars. And Venezuelans have dollars, those that do because 5 million people have left the country and they're sending in remittances, dollar payments that can be used. 5 million out of 28 million people in the country have left. Now, the dollar is not the official currency yet, which means you can't open a dollar-based bank account. Where do you store your dollars? And that's been a challenge. Luis Godoy, is a former deputy chief of the judicial police in Venezuela, said this is money earned through legal means, these dollars. Yet in a currency that exists entirely outside the country's constitutional order. You have to wonder how many people right now have money stacked inside their homes, like Pablo Escobar. Nowhere to put the dollars. But that's what is being used by businesses, hot dog stands, hairstylists. They advertise that they accept payments in dollars or via Zelle, which is a U.S. peer-to-peer payment system. Hopefully, that will start to bring the hyperinflation in Venezuela under control so that people have food to eat. But still, the minimum wage doesn't go very far. And so it's those that can get dollars either through their business or through their relatives and friends overseas. Now, Zimbabwe in 2009, began using foreign currencies as the official currency of the state. It was legalized. But they never really reformed the economy. There was a coup in 2017. Robert Mugabe was ousted. Emerson Mangagwa replaced him in November 2017. And since then, they've been trying to get the economy away from foreign currencies. They introduced something called the Zollers, 
Z-O-L-L-A-R-S, which lost value. Most of the economy runs on a digital currency called EcoCash. 90% of the adult population, they're trading digital payments. But in February of last year, the government introduced something called the Real-Time Gross Settlement Dollar. It was a new digital currency that only existed electronically. And the government banned the use of foreign currencies. So now Zimbabwe wanted to go back to using their own domestic currency, which is great if you have the citizens trusted because it gives you flexibility to conduct monetary policy, to set the floor on interest rates, to try to control inflation. But it doesn't work if nobody believes that the government won't continue to print massive amounts of currencies. Inflation in Zimbabwe is over 400% a year again. Even though the government says the IMF is coming in to help monitor them. But people remain skeptical. Gian van der Leen, an economist at South Africa-based NKC African Economics, said Zimbabwe will have to show results before people are convinced. Zimbabwe suffers from corruption. People don't believe the government. The dollars that people have, they converted to digital currencies, and now the Zimbabwe government wants to essentially what the economists call use funny money. And as a result, inflation is creeping up again because there's too much money being created or printed. What then do we do to protect ourselves against hyperinflation? Hyperinflation is a totally different game, as Virginia Lopez Glass said. We can't use what we typically use to protect against what we'll call more normal inflation levels. Treasury inflation protection securities, bonds that adjust based on the rate of inflation, owning real estate, land, gold, although we recognize gold's not a perfect inflation hedge, as we've discussed in earlier episodes. But that doesn't work for hyperinflation. Because when there's hyperinflation, the biggest issue is getting food, getting enough to eat. And so what becomes more important is the ability to earn foreign currency, maybe from a business that gets payments overseas somehow so that one can get a currency that's more stable to buy things for that because the local currency and payments in that local currency is depreciating so quickly. The ability to leave the country and work elsewhere is paramount. I have friends that are working to establish residency in other countries. And I thought, that's crazy. Why would I need to do that? But it gives you flexibility if hyperinflation comes about. Having some food storage, some protection against these things. But also participating in the democratic process. When hyperinflation has occurred, it has generally been because of corruption, because of a tyrant, a political system where the central bank was taken over by corrupt government officials, and they just started the printing presses and flooding the market with worthless currencies. 
Now, the U.S. and other developed countries are not even close to that and hopefully will never be in that situation. But Venezuela was very prosperous, if not the most prosperous country in South America, with huge oil reserves. And yet the government was taken over and the economy was wrecked and the private sector was destroyed and hyperinflation took over. So we can't say it will never happen, but hopefully it won't. And the remedies are things we don't really think about. What's my ability to earn foreign currency or to work overseas or to be able to get out of my country with a passport? That's episode 287. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free weekly insider's guide. This is an email I send just to those on that list with the links to that week's episode, as well as an essay on money investing the economy. Something to help you in your daily financial life. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. <laughs>